Hey, one really quick thing I want to share with you before we jump into the message. Uh, next week, uh, we're asking that you park at the bank. We'll have the, this road out here blocked off. And so uh, from 7.30 on until like 5 or something like that. But please uh, park at the bank. And if you need help um, coming up, we'll have a shuttle. So just kind of stay there. And there's going to be a, a shuttle kind of going back and forth. So we'd love to, you know, help that address that need and give you a ride. Also, please bring your bag chairs or whatever chair you have where you can sit and be comfortable, all right? And you guys are focusing on this table right now, aren't you? There. I'm not OCD, okay? I just don't need a bouncy table. (laughs) Thank you. You can pray about that. So anyhow. Okay, so we're in a series uh, with James, and uh, I hope that you're leaning into it, and I hope you're allowing God to challenge you. Last week we talked about God's number one, I think it was last week, God's number one intent for your life is to mature you. I want us to remember that. God's number one intent for us as his children is to help, is to mature us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Whatever you want to call that, sanctification, uh, you know, whatever. That's, that's, uh, That's what that is. It's like we're growing more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We don't talk the way we used to talk, meaning... Uh, you know, maybe some of the words we used or whatever, or even some of the thoughts. You know, our, 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 thought, our thinking is completely shifting, you know, because we're starting to view things vastly different. Uh, as we read down through the Beatitudes in Matthew, those are the th- characteristics we're starting to take on. We're, we're becoming different individuals. Uh, that's called spiritual maturity, and that's what James is all about. James is writing this letter. What do we know about James, just who he is? Does anybody know right, right out of the gate, like, who James is? There's one big kind of characteristic of him. He was, yeah, Jesus' half-brother, right? Um, he was often referred to as James the Just. Uh, he, so he pins out this. Now, all I'm saying is, you guys that have siblings that are younger, how, about, you know, how hard would it be for them to look and say, hey, this person is God's son, all right? Wouldn't that be kind of challenging at times? You grow up with your siblings, so, you know, you look at one, you're the youngest one or something, you're like, this, you know, uh, it, I'm just saying, you know, or you, or you, you uh, the youngest one looks towards uh, the other one, and it's, it, he's going to be the Messiah. I, I'm sorry, I think that would be hard to, to get my arms around, right? I think it would be hard to get our arms around. As a human, you know, I grew up with this guy. You know, I saw him, not that he did any, not that Jesus did anything wrong, but still, it's like, He's, he's the Messiah, you know. And so James, it's very interesting that James uh, accepted that to the point where he's going to pen out a letter that says, hey, you need to listen to him. He's not just Jesus. He's not just my half-brother. He is the Messiah. This person is the Messiah. And now that he's gone, uh, you know, his message was this. His message was for, you know, us to believe in him. And, and, and now we're going to become spiritually mature. We're not going to be the same way that we've been. We're going, to, we're going to be changed. And so as he talks about this, he goes, you know, we, we, that's what he kind of demonstrates, this whole concept of growing in him. So we're going to look at James chapter uh, uh, 1, verses 5 through 11, and we're going to talk about making up our minds, okay? We're going to talk about um, this, this concept of indecisiveness that he outlines uh, in these particular verses. So if you would, turn to James uh, chapter 1, and he, this letter is right almost at the end of the Bible. Okay, right after Hebrews, you're going to run into his letter. And we're going to look at uh, 
chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. Okay? So he says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from God or from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstance, circumstances is to glory... Let me start over again, verse 9. But the brother of humble circumstance is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because the flowering grass he will pass away. For... The sun rises with a scorching wind and with the, withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. So James, uh, what we're going to look at today is James, talk, James is talking about this concept of making decisions, this concept of indecisiveness, this, this concept that we need wisdom and we need wisdom of God. Now if I could pull one for you, some of you may recognize this, some may not, but I was... Uh, a band that I used to really like was a band called Rush. And in that, um, and I've got my slides twisted here. Right? Well, let me say this first. Uh, this isn't their quote, but if you go to the next slide. I, I, we need to understand that our decisions significantly shape uh, the flow of our lives. Now, I, I get that given that a cursory glance, it's like, yes, 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 I get that. But do we truly get that? Do we truly get that our decisions significantly shape our lives. That means then, I can make certain decisions that can shape my life to be very difficult as, for the rest of my life, maybe. Right now, I can make some decisions that could impact my life to where the next 10, 20 years is going to be pretty, uh, is going to be pretty difficult because right now, right today, I've made a decision. And I'm going to reap the, the fruit of that decision. And on the contrary, to flip it, we make good decisions rooted in biblical wisdom, rooted in the way God would have us to live our lives. It significantly impacts our lives. We can make things much, much harder on ourselves, or we could make things a little bit easier on ourselves. Uh, you know, it, it comes down to that, but it comes down to making the proper decisions. What do we use to make the proper decisions in my life? What do I use? What's the thought process? What's your thought process when you decide just certain things? I mean, and I'm not saying you have to get down to, you know, what if you're going to use a, you know, number two pencil or number one pencil. But I'm talking about, you know, pretty much a lot of things within our lives. Sometimes we just kind of make these quick snap decisions and don't really give much thought to it the way I think James is saying, to saying, hey man, we need to have some wisdom in making, these, making some uh, decisions within our lives uh, because they're going to significantly impact them. So, so what are the things that you're facing and what do you use? What is it that you use when you sit down and try to decide something, whether you think it's uh, just a quick decision or not? Whether your kids should do this or not, whether you should get your kids involved in this, whether you should take this job or not, or that job, or whether you should date this person or not date that person. Uh, you know, whatever it is. I mean, there are things that we can, decisions that we can make that significantly impact our lives. Now, some of us will say, well, I don't really want to make that decision or whatever. And this is where I was going with a, a band that I used to listen to or somewhat kind of listen to. Some of you may be familiar with this quote by them, a band by the name of Rush. And in one of their songs, they have a statement that says, Bing, there we go. Um, 
if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Some people will come together and we'll talk and we'll have a discussion about something and some people abstain from making a decision thinking that, well, I'll just abstain from making that decision. You still have made a choice, though. There's a lot of wisdom behind that. You still have made a choice. Even when you choose not to decide, that is a choice. There you go. There's one to chew on for your dinner, right? And I think, you know, there's some wisdom in that statement because decisions definitely shape us. Now, the question becomes, and this is what James is talking about, he's talking about this concept of indecisiveness, this double-mindedness. And, and when he talks about this, this double-mindedness, uh, uh, you know, in, his, in, in our reading here, this doubting and stuff like that, it literally means to be pulled apart. It literally means uh, that we doubt, that we're pulled apart, that we become unstable. It means that we begin to be pulled from all different directions. We have different directions, we have different loyalties, we have divided um, priorities. But he's talking about this being double-minded and pulled apart, this where we become unstable. Next slide. There we go. There you go. Um, so you see what I'm saying? And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, when you live in this moment, when, when you rest, when you're in this moment where you're doubting constantly, what happens is it's, it's miserable. It's miserable in a sense. You, you've got things pulling you all kinds of different ways. You're not really sure what you want. The word translated here is really confused is what it means. It's confused in many parts of the Bible. It's, it's the same word that means confusion. You're confused. You don't know what to do. You're being pulled in all different directions. You're hearing all kinds of different, um, you know, voices within your head. Let's, I want, this is very interesting because when we look at this in the Bible and it means confused, do you know what else it means? you know how else it's used in the Bible? It means that it describes a person who's drunk. It's the same word. A same word that describes someone who's drunk, someone who's staggering around, someone who is just unstable in all their ways. Their senses aren't all together. They've lost their kind of senses of things. And the Bible uses that same word for this, saying that it's that same type of confusion. Your mind is confused. It's scattered. It's pulled apart. It's, you've got divided loyalty, all these other things. You're very unstable. That's what the word literally means of how James is using it. He's saying this. If you can't make up your mind, it produces this unstable lifestyle. And all your ways will be unstable. They'll be in constant turmoil. That's really what he's saying couple different ways that it affects you. Number one, emotions. It will affect your emotions. You've been around people maybe that's confused, or you may be confused, but it, at times, and when I say confused, I'm not talking about just kind of a, we're, yeah, I was confused about that for a second, but now I understand. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about when we, I'm living in our, our life where we can't make certain decisions, where, we're, where, where we have these big decisions that we really need to make that, that significantly impacts our lives, and we, we have this, un, you know, this um, lack of stability within us. And, and it puts a strain on our emotions. When you can't decide, and believe me, if you don't know this, people around you do, you worry and you strain. You stew about it. You become kind of confused at times. At times we can't sleep, you can't eat, because this thing is always on your mind and it impacts, it impacts you. Maybe you made the decision and then on the back side you have this buyer's remorse that continues for seven years, Right? Did I do the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Is, you know, I'm not so sure. You know, it creates emotional instabilities, what happens within our lives when we, can't, when we can't make up our minds. 
The second thing it does affect significantly is not just our emotions, but our relationships around us. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that are married in here this morning, would you like to be married to someone that's quite not sure if they want to be married to you? Would that feel good? Well, I don't know. I, yeah. You see, here's the deal. I love you, but sometimes I just, I question it. It's like, what? I mean, would you enjoy that? It affects our rela- It can affect our relationships big time. There's times where you get around someone, and let's say you're, you're in a group where you have to make a decision. You can't, make a, you can't like contribute. You're, you're so worried about making a certain decision. And, and, and so you go along with it. You go along with the decisions that are made. And then on the backside, something happens. And then you come in, and you're like, well, we shouldn't have made that decision anyhow. And it's like, really? <laughs> it impacts your relationships. Instability, confusion, things like the, the, this concept of 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 not of doubting can create some some things within our within our um, within our relationships. The third one is that we're going to I want to share with you real quick is is not emo, is emotions relationships and your spiritual walk with God. Double mindedness can lead to a double life. It's kind of like a spiritual spiritual uh, schizophrenic or something. You know, you got this side and you got that side and you're constantly, you know, in turmoil. God wants to lead you one way, but you're just not quite sure. You're just, you know, you're just not quite sure. You just, you, you want to be 100% positive per se. And I get that. I understand that. But we're not talking about making sure that your decision's rooted in wisdom. I mean, we are. But what we're talking about is you reside in this. You, you, you resi- this is more of something, a way that you function on an everyday basis. This, this sense of kind of doubting all the time, this double-mindedness, this instability that, that, that you're producing. So what's the solution? I mean, that's my question. Okay, we have some, the problem is indecision. What's the solution? James says you need wisdom. James says you need wisdom. Now, when he's talking about wisdom, he's not necessarily talking about going to someone else and asking for their opinion. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking out someone that's on, this, on the journey with you and seeking their opinion. But my question is this, what if they're kind of in the same boat that you're in? Now you've got a couple of positions, or a couple of opinions that kind of coordinate with one another, but they're really not the best decision, right? You, you, we, we shouldn't necessarily scrub up against someone else all the time. I think that comes in a little bit later as we journey with people, right? But James is saying, you need the wisdom of God. You need the wisdom of God. You need to seek the wisdom of God, and God's more than willing to give it to you. We'll talk about it here in a few moments. But he says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. If you need wisdom, you need to ask God because God's going to give it to you generously. He, you know, he, he gives it to you generously. He will, he will give it to you as long as you have to ask. And within this, we see kind of three practical steps, okay? So what we're going to do, we're going to change, we're going to change our minds, man. We're going to, we're going to put, place this with, we're going to put this in us so that we can, um, we can make decisions based on godly, godly wisdom, okay? The first thing you have to do, essentially, is recognize the problem. That is the first step to anything. The first part of uh, verse 5 there says, but, it, but if any of you lacks wisdom. Some of us, I don't know what it is, but some of us have this deep, deep fear that if we just come clean and ask God for wisdom or ask God or ask you know, someone else to pray with us or whatever, it's like we're going to be found out and the last thing we can bear is being found out. But what happens then, being exposed in our minds ends up trumping acknowledging that we need wisdom 
it ends up trumping the fact that it's saying that maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I don't know all things. Maybe there's an area here where I need wisdom and I need wisdom of God. Here's the point. We all lack wisdom. I mean, from time to time, we all need wisdom. We all need to go to God from time to time and simply ask him for wisdom. It's a universal problem. Wisdom is, 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 you know, is something that we all need. Now, wisdom is knowledge put in practice. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Some of us can be very smart about something but lack wisdom. Have you ever been around someone that is extremely smart in the books but they can't sharpen a pencil? I mean, we've all been around that. And there's times where we just equate the two. Oh, this guy's very smart. This guy's, I mean, this guy's wicked smart. This woman is so smart when she talks, I don't understand her. Wow, that means you're a genius if you can't understand. I must be a genius because I preach every week. I don't think anybody understands what I'm saying half the time. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can collect all, you, you can memorize, the, we've talked about this. You could memorize the book of James but still lack wisdom. Because there's a, sometimes we need that, that in our minds we're thinking, well, I'm, I, I've got this, I know this, I'm smart, I, I get it. But knowledge, knowledge is, is one thing, but, but wisdom is putting knowledge you know, into practice. Wisdom is making the decisions the way God would have us to make decisions. And I'm sorry, sometimes God's wisdom goes, goes completely against man's knowledge. Completely against man's knowledge. There are times when you read through the New Testament and you read the way Jesus articulates that his people are going to look in his kingdom, a lot of that goes way against human knowledge, the way a human would go about it. Wisdom is, goes, is, is way beyond knowledge. So this, this sense of knowledge is, is more than just, or this sense of wisdom is more than just knowledge, but it's the application of it. And the Bible talks about wisdom all the time. Or, you know, talks about wisdom, but a lot of times we're just, you know, more interested in knowledge where we say, well, it's all about knowledge. Listen to what Proverbs 11.2 says by Solomon. He says this, when pride comes, he says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I know it all. Why would I ask someone? Why do I need to ask you? Why do I need to ask anybody? I know it. I know it all. And at times, if, we don't, if we're not careful, we put ourselves in a position where we say, I've arrived. I'm here, I've arrived. I don't need to lean on anybody. I don't need to ask anything. You know, I've arrived. And so we're, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I've got it all. I've got it all. I'm good to go. I've got it. The first step James says is, you might want to like take the pride level down a little bit and understand that you don't have it all. And there's times where you need to ask God for wisdom. God is the one that's going to give you wisdom. Pride is going to do nothing but block wisdom. You're not going to learn anything if if you think you already know it. So, the first thing James says is this. Ask for, or, or the first thing that James says is recognize that you need wisdom. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is this. Ask God. You've got to make a request. Understand that you lack it. Number two, then, you ask God for it. The, one, the part of that verse says, let him ask of God. We ask. We ask for his. We pray to God. We talk to him. It says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God. How do you get wisdom then? We ask God, right? 
The Bible says you get plenty, you'll get all kinds of wisdom by asking God. And that's where wisdom comes from. It's from God. Proverbs, Solomon writes again in Proverbs verse two, or chapter 2, verse 6, It is the Lord who gives wisdom. From him comes knowledge and understanding. God, gave, God came to Solomon. Remember that whole story with Solomon? We read that whole story with Solomon. God comes to Solomon. He says this. I'm going to give you. He just says, what, what's something I could give you right now? What's the one thing that you would want that I, that, that I will I'll give it to you? You just name it. I will give it to you. That one big genie question almost, right? And Solomon says, give me wisdom. Remember, Solomon was king at that time, right? And he was, had to hear all the disputes. He had to make all these significant decisions, these important decisions uh, before the people. Solomon recognized, Solomon recognized upon him, within himself that he didn't have it all. He did the first step. I don't have all the wisdom that I need. I need wisdom. So when God comes and asks him, that question says, I'll grant you anything that you want. Solomon says, that's awesome. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And it pleased God, as we read that story, it pleased God that Solomon would ask for wisdom. I wonder what we would ask for if God came to us today and said, I'll give you whatever you want. Whatever it is that you would want right now, right now, what would you ask for? What would it be that you would say, you know, what, how would you fill in that blank? Would it be wisdom? Would you say, I, w- I want wisdom? And Solomon even told him, he said, I want wisdom so that I can govern your people the way you would have me to govern them. So what would we say? He says that's the most important, uh, you know, the important thing about wisdom. He says in Proverbs, he says, if you don't get anything else, get wisdom. And the reason why we don't have wisdom is we don't ask. James uh, chapter 4 verse 2 says this, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't go to God and you don't ask. 20 times in the New Testament it says to ask. Ask and it shall be given. Ask, and it shall be given. This word in the Greek literally means keep on asking. Be, per- be persistent. Be continual. Keep asking. Keep asking. Keep coming to God. Keep going to God and asking, and it shall be given. So the second thing is that we ask. First, we acknowledge. Second, we ask. If you can't acknowledge that you need wisdom, there's nothing that we're done, right? So you get, you get to move on to the last stage which is we're done (laughs) right but those of you that say you know what i need wisdom then you ask and then the next one is this you got to believe and this is the three steps that that james kind of points out here that this is how we receive wisdom you acknowledge it you ask for it but you got to believe in verse six he says this but he must ask in faith without any doubting Without any doubt. That means we anticipate. That means when we go to God, we don't doubt. That means when we go to God, that we, we anticipate that God's going to answer our prayer because we know the prayer is rooted in what God would have for our lives. We anticipate it. We expect him to answer it. You expect him to answer it. In faith, you expect to answer him to answer. You're not doubting. You're not doubting whatsoever. If you want wisdom, the first thing you got to do is go to the right person, right? And you ask and you believe. You have the faith. You believe. You don't doubt. And that's the key to the wisdom in, in, in prayer. It's this, it's this sense of faith that we have. Have you ever prayed this prayer? And I want to tell you something. I've been guilty of this, and I have, I have studied this before and have read some things, and it's just, it convicts me every time because I have done this, and I think it's a huge temptation to do. And it's this, where you pray a prayer, 
And then at the very end of that prayer, you tack on, if it's your will. Okay? Now, is there anything wrong on saying, if it's God's will? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think that's very important. We pray a prayer and we say, God, if this is your will, please answer it. Because I think at some point, you kind of acknowledge that I'm human and I don't see everything. I don't see all sides of this, this situation. It's multifaceted. I don't, have, I don't have all the information. So when we pray, it's kind, of, it's kind of a statement of humility where we say, if it's your will, after prayer. But I wonder how many of us at times tack on that, if it's your will, because it's our out clause if it doesn't get answered the way we think it should get answered. Well, it must not have been his will. You see what I'm saying? There could be a shred of doubt there, which James is saying, don't have doubt. Pray, ask, ask God for wisdom. But when you ask, you believe. You don't doubt. You believe that God is going to give you the wisdom. Don't tack anything onto it. You pray the prayer. You ask. You, you, you ask God that, you know, to give you wisdom in this situation so that you can make proper decisions for your life. The author of Hebrews nails this throughout his whole letter, or their whole letter. In verse 6 of chapter 11, it says, and without, in Hebrews, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The whole point of that, that from the author of Hebrews is this. In order to have faith, you've got to believe. I mean, faith is believing. It's believing in what may be the unknown, the unseen. But you're stepping out and you're saying, I believe this. Even though I don't have every piece of this puzzle together, I believe this, and I believe that God is going to do this. I believe God is going to answer my prayer for wisdom because it's, because it's extremely important that, so that I can make these decisions, um, these decisions in a godly fashion. And if you want to receive anything from God, you've got to believe in advance that God is going to do it. That's faith. That's faith. And then we thank God after that. We say, God, you know, thank you so much. Faith is thanking God in advance, though, and saying, God, I believe this, and I'm praying this. And I believe it, and I will continue to pray and ask. Those are three different ways uh, that, 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 um, that, that helps us gain wisdom. First, we acknowledge. Secondly, we ask. And then we believe that God is going to give us the wisdom that we need. Now, let's look at the way God gives real quick as I close here in the next few moments. Let's look at the way God gives because this whole concept of asking God and praying is what it's all about. Number one, it is God's nature to give. Do you, you do understand that, right? It is God's nature to give. The last part of, uh, uh, or the, one of the parts of the verse, in, uh, verse five says this, and it will be given to him. Here's the issue, here's the deal. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to give you wisdom. God wants to give every single person sitting in this room godly wisdom for you to make the right decisions in different times, the way to conduct your life, all these other things. God wants to give you that wisdom. He's eager to give you that wisdom. It pleases him to give you that wisdom. Just like when Solomon asked for it, God is pleased. Um, what God was pleased when Solomon asked for that. It pleases God when we ask him about things like this for, for wisdom. God, I need wisdom in making these decisions. 
Uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I need to, I need to, you know, I need your wisdom. And God is eager to give because that's his nature. Ask God. It is his nature to give. He is a giving God. I think we miss out on that a lot. I really do. I think we miss out on the fact that God is a giving God. I think for some of us, we struggle with the fact that, uh, with all the do's and don'ts. We look at all the punitive things within the Bible, and we miss out that God is a giving God. We look back to the Old Testament, and we say, how can there be so much bloodshed? God is, a, God is a vengeful God. But we skip over the verses that says, the time had come for him to punish the people that he was punishing. And it, it, and it seems that if you read into that, that God gave people opportunities. He gave people opportunities. We latch on to that, but we don't latch on to the part where God so freely wants to give us, to, to, to give us things. And I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm talking about we are his children. God wants to give us things. God wants to, to draw us in deeper. We look at things sometimes as something that we have to do. It's not that we have to do those things. It's putting ourselves in a position by doing those things so that God can bring us in closer and let us go deeper and he, and he can continually give and continually bless and bless and bless us. I think we get it backwards where it's like we think that, well, it's all about do's and don'ts. No, Do, the do's and don'ts puts us in a certain position to where we can be just ultimately utterly blessed by God. God all God is saying is, if you live your life this way, this is what's going to reap blessings because this is the proper way to live. And it comes down to us choosing. And do we have the wisdom to choose to live that particular way? But God's nature is to give. He is a giver to his children. The second thing is this. He gives continually. Ask God who gives. In the Greek, it literally means it's a continuous giving. It's a continuous tense. He keeps on giving. He keeps on blessing. He doesn't run out of energy. He doesn't wear out. He keeps on giving. He keeps on blessing. He keeps on just uh, providing for us and wanting to bless us. That is his heart. That is his nature is to give. And then the last one, or a couple more here. God gives, he gives continually, and he also gives generously. God is a generous giver an incredible giver. His resources are unlimited. He has enough resources for everybody. He's not going to run out. He is the absolute uh, most generous giver ever. I find it interesting too that when God asks us, when we, when we do our tithes and offerings, when we give, it teaches us that we're supposed to give from the heart too. That we're supposed to give from a joyful heart. That it's not just some mundane thing we do, like, again, another do's and don'ts, right? Well, this is something i got to do, so we pull out some money and just chuck it in there, and it doesn't really have much meaning to it whatsoever. God is an incredible giver. God is a continual giver, and he's a generous giver. And God wants us to be that type of person too. And I think that's what happens when we get wisdom and we get into the inner depths with our relationship with God and we begin to take on those characteristics of him, we realize that we become generous givers too. That, we're, that we have the same, we begin to take on the eyes of Jesus, his son, and we become generous givers as well. But his resources are absolutely unlimited. He has enough, re again, enough resources for everyone. And then the last point is this, as the worship team comes back, the last point of, of, of the way God gives is, um, again, he gives continually, generously, and then he gives without finding fault. Okay? 
God gives cheerfully. And I just kind of talked about that. God gives cheerfully. Let me ask you something. Has someone ever given you a gift and you know strings are attached? Has someone ever given you a gift and you know that there are strings attached to that gift? You know what I'm talking about, right? Has someone ever lended you money or given you some money, but there are some strings attached? Someone may say this. They give you something, and then you say, oh, man, that is so great. You know, I don't know how I could ever repay you. And they throw this one out there. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It's kind of like the mob mentality, right? Yeah, I'm doing you a favor right now. You'll, you'll be doing me a favor sometime. I'll come and cash in on that favor that I just did for you. That, that's not giving. When we give and there's strings attached, when we give and it's like, you know, we give, but yet we, we you know, deep down we're giving and we want someone to acknowledge that because we're going to call in a favor later, that's not giving. That's not giving generously. That's not how God gives. God doesn't give to you. God doesn't give to us. And then he's got strings attached to it. God is an extreme generous giver and that's all he's asking us to be cheerful do we find joy into giving god god finds joy into giving to us the bible says god does not give wisdom in a way where there's strings attached he loves to give it's again his nature we don't need to feel embarrassed when we go to him we don't need to let our pride come up as if He doesn't already see it. We don't need our pride to come up to start justifying ourselves before God. That's not, that's not a healthy relationship with God. There's no way we should ever feel embarrassed to go to God. It's coming to God in a humble state, a contrite state, a state of humility, something that is a foreign word to us anymore. This sense of being humble, this sense of being contrite. Man, go back and read the Beatitudes. Read the first part. Read, you know, I think it's Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus talks about what the people are going to look like that will inhabit his kingdom. You do not find people in that list that has pride. You find humble people. You find people that begin to see the world the way God sees the world. You begin to find people, you see people that are full of mercy and grace because they have received mercy and grace. They get it. They connect it. I've received this unconditional love from God. How can I put strings on something to somebody else? That's not the way God is. God does not give finding fault. God loves to give. Not not that we need to be embarrassed, but we come in with a humble heart before God without hesitation. God doesn't resent us for asking. He is very pleased that we would ask. Is that your nature? Is that our nature? God gave us a model to give, of how to give. And if we, if we want to be, if we want to be like God, if we want to be like Son Jesus, we become giving people mercy, people that gives mercy, people that gives grace, people that don't, people that give give to the best of their ability they can give. God wants us to give continually, generously, and without finding fault. That's what giving is all about. And He says. You give because I give. That's God. God wants to use you as a conduit to pass through us. So James says, guys, you're going to have problems. Last week we talked about it. You're going to have problems. It's not if, but it's when. You're going to have problems. 
When you have problems, how do you come out on the backside of your problems? How do you navigate through them, I should say? Do you seek God for wisdom? Do you look to God and say, God, I, I, I need wisdom here. I don't know how to navigate through this. Oh, I know how to navigate through it, God. But I don't want to be spending my, the rest of my life navigating through this problem right here when if I just come to you and ask for wisdom. I don't know why it's a struggle for us at times to ask God for wisdom, whether it's we don't believe it, whether we're, we already think that we're in a position where we don't need it. I don't, I don't know what it is about where, where this, again, this sense of humility kind of escapes us where, you know, and, and we have this edge to us. And, and, and it's very evident because we, because we feel, there's times where we feel it uh, from others in our relationships. And, uh, and it just comes across in various ways. Do you need wisdom? What's the next big thing on your plate right now? What's the next big thing that you're facing? What's the thing that you're going to have to face this week? What's the thing that you're going to be facing here in the near future? What is it that you're neck deep in right now that you're facing where you need help? And you don't need someone else coming along and giving you the obvious. Is it your heart to do it God's way? Is, is it your heart to say, God, I want to do it the way you would have me do it? And you get on your knees and you ask God, God, I need wisdom. I don't know how to navigate, navigate through this one. I need your help. I need wisdom. That's what James is saying. It's there. It's there. All we have to do is ask. And God is so generous and so loving to just give us the wisdom that we need and very pleased to do that. Why don't we stand and let me lead us into a word of prayer as we close our time out here. Father, I give you thanks that um, I give you thanks that, that you give us when we ask wisdom to make the decisions that we need to make that that, um, that have significant impact upon our lives, but 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 also they can have the potential of pleasing you. Where we're making decisions based upon our our walk with you, what you would have us to do, not with someone else, not 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 another human, another six foot perspective, but someone. I mean, we're, we're, we're here wanting to just live our lives the way you would have us to live our lives. And I, and I thank you so much that all we have to do is ask for wisdom. So I pray that, starting with me, that, that we would be a type of people that could set aside our pride, if that's the case, that could set aside our humanly thinking, that could set aside all these things and come in come into your presence and simply ask you, God, I need, I, need, I need wisdom right now. I've got these decisions and you know what, you know these things that's uh, on my plate. Would you please give me wisdom and understanding how to navigate through these things? I pray that's the type of children we would be here at Element. Children that are humble. Children that are contrite. Children that are not stuck on themselves. But we can see that we're just human and that we need you. So I pray right now that you would just allow your spirit to connect with each and every one of ours right here this morning. I pray that you would find freedom in this room. I pray that instead of finding a whole, uh, a hard, cold heart, that as your spirit moves, 
He's going to find hearts that are wide open and hearts that are pleading for you to give them wisdom and give us direction. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the courage to respond right now the way that you, the way that we should respond in a godly way. And I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.